We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. Spike called us. I was leaving Vegas. <laughs> Actually, I was there for like a vacation, and um, and I was I got the call on Spike called. You. Spike called me on on the way, uh, leaving our Vegas hotel to the airport. What did he say? And he was like, "Hey, um, Spike," <laughs> as he always does. I'm like, "Yeah, you're saved to my phone." Point, you know, um, uh, <laughs> you come from like, a different generation you know, like, when you had yeah, to say, you know, hi, hey, it's, it's, uh, it's Spike, you know, and it's so funny because I say hi, Spike, and he's like, hey, it's Spike. I'm like, okay, <laughs> you know, we're gotcha. we're back, we're back here, and uh, and he was like, um, he's like, hey, uh, bad news, we didn't get picked up, we're not we're not gonna be moving on to third season, so I just wanted you to know before you found out from anybody else. Margot Bingham was one of the stars of the recently canceled Netflix show She's Gotta Have It by Spike Lee. Margot played Clorinda, who reps Nola Darling as an artist, a role originated by Joie Lee in the film. The show just got canceled a few days ago, and Margot's a friend, so I want to see how she was feeling. So here it is. It's Margot Bingham on Touré Show. So I'm sorry about your show. Thank you. Um, is do we do we say condolences? Is it like, I, like what do I actors mean, it's say? So, it's so dramatic. I think uh, I've been saying condolences because that's how I feel. Yeah. Um, but I don't. Maybe it's not as dramatic as well, that. I mean, is this the biggest role you ever had? No. I mean, you're on Broadway Empire, but Boardwalk, Boardwalk Empire. Excuse yeah. me, bro- Boardwalk Empire. But you're a huge part of a huge cultural show right this i mean this was my second series regular show um i was on the family on abc that was that was supposed to be guaranteed pickup for second season everybody was already celebrating including the network Mm -mm. and um and then when there was changes with the president of the network uh we found out about like uh three days before upfronts which is if nobody knows what upfronts is it's uh you know, when you find out about the um, the shows that are picked up and going to be on network and everything. So um, we found out a couple days and everybody was shocked. I mean, I had moved apartments to be closer to the studio. Mm. It was like, it was it was a, we were a guaranteed shoe-in. Way, way more than She's Gotta Have It was. Uh, everybody was kind of waiting on pins and needles for, you know, third season for this show because it was just, we didn't do the greatest the first season. Uh but in my mind, 
it seemed like we were definitely going to be picked up because it's Spike Lee, you know, at least for a, a last season because we clearly didn't like end Conclude. things right. or, you know, right. it didn't feel like we were leading toward a conclusion. Right. Um, but things don't always pan out the way that you think. You know, when my MSNBC show got canceled, I cried for three days. It was very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, How has it been for you? It's been really hard. I think, you know, it's so funny that for everybody that watches actors or performers or creatives, they, they're they watching through a different kind of lens regardless because they're seeing us on social media or mm-hmm. they're seeing all of the good accolades. They're seeing the glamour of it all. I think it's very rare that people share about the hardships and kind of the downfalls and pitfalls of our career or like just our lives because we're tentative to let people in regardless. Sure. Uh, I always have kind of a wall up just for my own safety because people don't always wish you well. So you have to really protect yourself as a human, let alone uh, any kind of public figure. Uh, So when things like this happen, I think, um, uh, first of all, I've been getting unbelievable messages from fans and supporters of mine via social media uh, that are really, really just so supportive of me. And it really has helped a lot. I know that that sounds cheesy, but it's just nice that somebody took the time in their day to just wish you well. Yeah. Uh, that it's takes a lot. So unusual. It's Twitter. so unusual, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, for sure. And um, but But secondly, I think that people just expect you to just move on because they think that you are in and out of jobs all the time. So, mm. cause that's, we're basically professional freelancers for a living. Yes. So in entrepreneurs, you know, we continue on, we, we book jobs, like nothing is really our own except for our craft. So mm-hmm. that's what we do for a living is we go in and out of jobs. So it doesn't seem odd to other people that are watching that you're in and out of a job. Like, you're just in and out of another job. But it's so, hard. But it's hard. So, like, that's the thing that they don't And you don't know talk about. when you'll get another one. Right. Certainly not of this size. Right. I mean, you know, or it could be bigger. You know, sure, it of could, course. It could be, you know, it could, it, could be something, it could be something that I don't even see yet. But all of that is so hard to look forward to and to manifest and to kind of keep your eye on the light, you know, so to speak. But uh, when you're just like in so much pain and darkness and that's, that's really, that's where you are now. That's just hard. Are you saying, ah, oh, now I'm not going to get a certain amount of money or I'm not going to get to act this character anymore. I'm not going to get to be part of this community that was making the show anymore. Like what is the big thing that you're like, ah, I think, I will continue to be successful, so I'm not actually scared financially, um, even though I probably should be because my <laughs> bank account is like zip, you know, but it's uh, and, and that's definitely like scary, but I don't have any children. I, you know, I'm I'm not married. I don't really have any major responsibilities besides myself and, you know, trying my best to help my family. But uh there's nothing huge that's hanging over my head like a child that I have to take care of. Um, And I know that that's that's a heavy thing that hangs over most people's heads. And 
And I am not envious of that when people are in between jobs because I know that that's not easy because it's not easy for myself alone right now. Um, But the thing that I'm mourning most right now is probably the group of people and the character. I really loved Clorinda. Uh, Joa's version of Clorinda, obviously from the original, was so different from mine. And... Mm -hmm. It was such an honor to get to play such an iconic piece of mm-hmm, work. Mm-hmm. And she was so complicated, and I really got to flex a lot of her muscles this season, and I was so excited to continue to do it even more so for third season. And I was in a really good place to do that this year, and I adore Spike Lee. So I wanted to be around him more, and I really love my cast, and that's you can't say that very often. And um, that's, you know, that's that's what I miss the most. I what think. was it like working with him? I loved it. Uh, he is everywhere all at the same time. People are terrified to talk to him. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, really terrified. Uh, and a lot of things don't get done because they're just scared to ask. Yeah. And I, I do notice that. Uh, which means that he has even more responsibility to hold on to. Because people just are... are are kind of tentative to to you know reach out or ask if it's okay or you know whatever it may be if it's like lighting or costumes or whatever you know uh, everybody's really scared to ask him. I was never scared to ask him. He's very good with actors though, so I I've never been from the perspective of a crew or um, you know anybody else in the union from that world uh, behind the camera but I've always, you know, he's always been very good to me, so I've never known him to be anything less. What's his direction like? You you do a take or two, and then he comes over and tells you something. Like, is he light? Is he heavy? Like very quick. He does not like to take time on on a set. Uh, He will go in and he will do a setup, which everybody listening, if you don't know what a film setup is, it's... Basically, you could do one scene and you can do different perspectives of the eye. So it could be like a wide shot. It could be close-ups. It could be over the shoulder. Those are all called setups. So Spike does all of these different setups. And then there's different takes, which is from action to cut, how many different times you know we do those setups. Sometimes we could do setups. I've done setups on set that we do like 10 to 20 takes a setup which is a very long time. You know, we would do that on Boardwalk. We with would, other, you know, with other, other directors. Yeah, other directors, other productions. Spike does how many? Spike does about, on average, three. So that becomes very quick for you it's as It's very an fast. It's very fast. You hear action, and then you hear cut, and it's like, move on, next setup. And if that's your close-up, uh, you, he really trusts his actors that they'll get there. If you don't get any notes, you're good. He got he got what he needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, if he comes over and gives you a little mention, it will it will get you there. It's it's very quick. It's a very quick note. He'll just say, you know, like for example, for today, he would come over and say, you know, Marco, like maybe a little bit more energy, <laughs> you know, something you know, something light, just to kind of pick me up. And I'm like, oh, okay, it looks like I'm dying on screen. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick I'm gonna pick myself up, uh, and he needs a little bit more from me, so I'm gonna pick that up for this setup. Is it is it is it problematic 
that people are scared to talk to him. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. How does that how does that affect the the whole thing? I am a, I'm beyond an an empath to a fault. Uh I care way too much about what everybody else is doing and how everyone else feels. Um and it's sometimes a problem. I care so much about Spike that I see the stress that lands in the the ways that jobs don't get done properly mm. because everybody's so terrified of him. And then I see the stress on him because people just can't do their jobs correctly because they're just too scared. And that's a problem. That's a problem. And that limits the whole thing. It limits the whole production. Limits everything. It limits marketing. It limits. It limits everything. That is a. You have to be a village as a production. You have to be a village in this career. And if you are scared to talk to your captain, then you know work is not getting done because yeah. not everybody knows exactly what to do. So you're just like kind of guessing, and sometimes like that guessing is wrong, and you're gonna get it wrong. Yeah. And. The captain's not going to know about it until the ship crashes. Right. And then they're going to go back and say, what went wrong? And it's like, well, I didn't know that I had to, like, clean off the steamship, you know, whatever. <laughs> and it's like, but why didn't you ask me? It's like, because I was afraid of you. That's mm. a stupid. That's mm. stupid. I mean, I've been watching Spike since she's got to have it mm-hmm. and loving the work and but I feel like his writing, everybody is a version of him. Mm-hmm. Not You're not your own individual character. You're saying what he would say if he was in that moment. Yes. But for this season, he was very good about us going back in and making our own rewrites. He's always very good about that. If So you wrote a lot of your lines? M- most, yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, if, if, if an actor comes to him and says, Spike, this doesn't feel right he'll he'll open the conversation and say why then you'll explain and if it's a good enough explanation that he feels like is is will serve your character serve you and serve him then he'll be good to go with the change uh but he normally is good to go with the change because he trusts his actors he hires you for your talent because he trusts you and then he wants you to do your job who is your favorite scene partner Hmm. I would have to say I'd have to say uh Mrs. Pauletta Washington. Really? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's there's so everybody's so good on the show, but Pauletta is ridiculous. Everybody knows Denzel. Denzel, Denzel. You know, like, he's phenomenal. Obviously, he's, you know, freaking Denzel. <laughs> and now their son. Oh, my God, he's son. so great. Oh, my God, he's great. But, like, people are sleeping on Pauletta. And maybe people aren't, and I was just sleeping on her, you know, like, and I just, like, didn't know. But she comes on set. There is no ego. There is, she is on time. She is ready to go. She's like, whatever you guys want to do. You know, let's let's go, let's play, and she is fully in and available and playful, and she is like, she feels like she is a twenty-year-old just jumping right in for the first time. Nice. And the way 
that she's so open but then also executes her character while still being present is that's that's just like a gift from god i thought you might say anthony ramos it was a close second you two seem to have so much fun and the pairing seemed to me as a viewer of the show like what these two but you you're constantly laughing and just like yeah I mean, it's moments. it's very easy to laugh with Anthony. Like, you know, I could laugh right now just thinking about him. Uh, he's so sweet and he's just incredible. And and he really was so perfect for Mars. I mean, if yeah. anybody was going to recreate Mars, it yeah. it couldn't be somebody that was so close to Spike sure. that it w- it seemed like a you know a, a replication of of the Mars, such an iconic character it had, it could have held so much weight on anybody else. But Anthony was just like, yeah, whatever. Like, you know, I'm Mars. Like, this is my Mars. And he is so light and fresh that, um, I actually remember when, when we auditioned together, uh, I was up for, I was up for Nola. I was up for Clorinda. I was up for Cheryl Overstreet. And I was up for Opal. I was up for four roles. And I remember when I was going back in for my callback for Clorinda and Nola, uh, I knew for Nola I was going to be opposite of a lot of people. But for Clorinda, I heard that Anthony was going to be coming in. So I actually reached out to my girl that was also in Hamilton at the time. And I said, hey, do you mind if you give me Anthony's email? I'd like to introduce myself. And she's like, let me just make sure that it's cool. So I reached out to him, and he was cool. And I said, hey, do you mind if we meet uh, 20 minutes before the callback tomorrow? Because I already knew that he was going to be Mars because Spike loved him, and I heard on the street, you know, word on the street. But I was not sure if I was going to be a part of the production. So um, I wanted us to already have a a piece of relationship before we walked in the room. Mm -hmm. So I asked him if uh, we could meet at Baba Cool, which was right across the street from Spike's office Mm -hmm. for a coffee. And I said, I just want to just pick your brain, get to know you a little bit. So we met, we were like, you know, 30 minutes before our audition and we just talked about life. And I taught, I learned about his family and about his life a little bit. We got that kind of nervous behavior out. So then we walked over to the office together and we were already in a moment. We were already good. And after that, I was like, I, I really want Clorinda because I want to be able to play with like him. this yes. with him. The way that Nola does not get to play with him. What a great note for actors. That first season, it felt iconic. It felt like mm-hmm. everybody's watching and talking and they're excited about this thing. and They're writing about this thing. Did it feel like that to you? Absolutely. Yeah, there was a, there was a weight to it that I was definitely, it did not, uh, it was not unnoticed by me. I felt it every time I walked on set. You know, Nelson George was in the area. You know, he'd walk on and he would tell me his stories about him putting money into the film yep. too. Yeah. And he still had the ticket, you know, from when it premiered. And it was it's crazy that this iconic moment of Brooklyn with Spike and just cinema of the history of cinema because of this one man and the community that literally gave everything to him to support him when no one else would. uh, We were now a part of that narrative and a part of that family, which comes with such a weight and responsibility. And I was so 
ready to be a part of that responsibility. I was so ready to watch it and see my community. I've been in Fort Greene for 20, 25 years or something. Yeah. And, you know, be like, oh, my God, I know that restaurant. Oh, my God, I know that person. Oh, my God, I know exactly where they're standing. And remember when you walked by set second season and I you saw me? I did, I did, I did. You're on Myrtle Avenue. Yeah, you texted you're... me. You're like, I just walked by you protesting. I know. It was, you were so, I mean, it's funny because you were so in the moment and you were so powerful and big and doing your thing and, like, so so different than the person who's here now was like sweet nice let me tell you my story like it, it was great to like see you like in your thing and like you're doing it like on the street where like normal people are walking yeah. by and they're like talking shit to you yeah. and like that's crazy yeah it was crazy it was crazy that used to terrify me doing things in public but now i just like i don't care yeah. i don't know maybe i just lost that as i got older but i just when i first started filming on the street in new york it was it was so scary because i would see everyone's eye looking at me and i it would take me right out of it it's so funny that you even remember that i walked by you were working you were doing this important scene for your character i'd yeah. be like i don't remember you people i was trying to do my thing yeah i i mean i i guess i shouldn't have remembered because <laughs> it shows that i wasn't that in it but um yeah i uh I mean, it just felt, that show just felt, that character felt so natural to me that I could really just hop in and hop out of her. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered. One of the people who helped inspire me to want to be in broadcasting is Oprah Winfrey. She's an inspiration for so many of us, but her daytime talk show was so incredible. And it told me that you could be black and authentic and real on TV. And that made me want to do it, too. Black Stories, Black Truths is NPR's new collection that's a celebration of blackness. Each of NPR's black voices are as direct, varied, distinct and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and how to create world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account of what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. Black perspectives that haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story, but now they are the story. On NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as varied, as nuanced, and as Black as we are. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get your podcasts. 
influencer. It's a word that gets tossed around a lot these days. There is a woman who went the distance, who broke ground as the first true influencer by living a remarkable life. Her name, Elizabeth Taylor. I'm Katy Perry. This is the story of the original influencer. This is Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth the First, the podcast, wherever you listen. I felt like the first season did a really good job of introducing the characters and mm-hmm. having them play and do their things, their fights, their loves, what have you. Mm-hmm. The second season did not have the same level of ideas for stories. Yeah, I I actually disagree with you a little bit. Okay. I think that the first season did do a great job for the intro, uh, but there was more stories about the love, the love life in it. I think second season you got to learn more about the characters' lives. Uh, And I think that there could have been more story there, but it was so quick and kind of tapped into so fast and then pulled right back out and then on to the next Mm. that we never really got to go anywhere with it. Yeah, It was like a good intro to the lives of the characters for a beat. And Mm. then... It's a, you know, 40-minute show, and then we got to move on. You know, like, it was it was too fast. I would have liked to have seen more. Uh, I, I really wanted to hear more about Jamie Overstreet's life and how he's tied in with Winnie Wynn and his whole life. And, you know, like, I, I wanted to hear more about that. I, yeah. I wanted to learn more about um, how Winnie Wynn is falling in love with Shemekha and Shemekha's daughter and, you know, her life at this new hair salon. I wanted to learn more about that. Like, there were so many things that were introduced that could have been so much bigger that nobody really took took the opportunity to expand it anymore. And it was, for the first time, really introing some of these characters into, like, just their behind NOLA life, and which was exciting because I really like when we get to know more about the village that is around our lead. Yeah. Um, instead of just like everything that our lead is attached to. Yeah. I'm Torre. Check out my new podcast, Democracy-ish, a podcast about the 2020 election from a black and progressive point of view. Each week with my co-host, Danielle Moody-Mills, we will break down all the ish in the election cycle. Tune in each week on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. There was so much weight on the lynching piece Mm -hmm. that Nola did, which was a powerful episode mm-hmm. I felt like the first batch of people who went and saw it right behind the curtain mm-hmm. were like clearly like whoa that was affecting mm-hmm. that was depressing that was heavy but then some people would come out like smiling or like it was funny mm-hmm. and when the reveal came I'm like how could you think that was funny yeah I mean I think it just goes to show different perspectives of everything in life you know I remember that I was talking to this girl on set uh, a couple years ago. It couldn't have been more than three years ago, and she was she was also doing a podcast. And she said, "I needed I need you to come up with two things, two topics that you want to talk about." And I said, "Great, um, racism and acting. <laughs> two perfect topics. Love I it. could talk to you about that all day long." Love it. And she's like, "Well, let's. I mean, 
acting cool yeah like but why do you want to talk about racism like we're you know we're pretty much it's pretty much gone <gasps> no girl do you read the newspaper i was like okay <laughs> do you watch tv i don't know if i could do this podcast anymore <laughs> uh so it was so simple that that was her response and yet it's so clear to us that it's not hmm. the response the right response so it for as quick and simple as that is that have so much obvious weight that if you go in and you you feel uncomfortable for a piece you walk out after seeing a lynching piece and you're obviously shook by it or you walk in and you walk out and you're uncomfortable so it makes you giggle like you know if you're at a funeral and you don't know how to feel so you start laughing because you can't explore those feelings Mm, that there's there's so many different dimensions to the ways that people react and you don't know what happened to them that day. You don't know where they were. Um, Spike actually asked me if he thought Clorinda would see the piece. And I said, no. Wouldn't she have already seen it? No, because she wasn't a part of the curation for the gallery. So, so she declined so I, to see it I made all. the choice to decline okay. to see it. So give me some memories that you take away like you know when you think back on your time making these two seasons what will you are there stories that you'll remember or anecdotes you'll cling to yeah i uh i will remember you know my character got to curate galleries and since i've gotten to play this character i really have gone to way more museums I've ironically kind of immersed myself in a circle of artists that now I'm very good friends with there's curators that are around me there's other painters there's uh, medalists there's um, there's so many different artists that are around me now that were never in my world that I do think that kind of through like an osmosis I kind of attracted to me just because Clorinda was just like in my blood uh and that was never of interest to me before and that's it's a really cool new um hobby and an interest of mine so so I do take that away and now I look at art way differently um I'm actually working on I'm producing a movie right now and and it will be filming in Ethiopia and I'm I've been looking at this Ethiopian artist and and it's just I'm looking at art differently because I've I've looked at art differently through the eyes of Clorinda Bradford. Mm. Uh, so I'll take that away. I uh, there's of course happy awesome moments on set, off set with Spike. Um, there were times that Spike Anthony and I, you know, went out and grabbed dinner, and it was just like moments like that that I'll cherish forever. Um, moments with Dewanda. Uh, Nola Darling. Nola Darling, Dewanda Wise, that we that we were able to kind of uh, create with Clorinda and Nola, that really was such a complicated friendship, but centered in love the way that most friendships are, <laughs> super layered, and um, just ridiculous things that Spike would throw in, like the the first monologue that I did for a season where like you saw all the dudes you know peeing in the bathroom that every time I would walk into the bathroom there would be like another dude taking a piss in the bathroom Mm -hmm. until like I screamed out Nola and I remember those guys and the last guy had like these long dreads 
And Spike kept telling him to like shake his dreads more, shake your shake your dreads more. So when she walks in, you're just like really shaking your dreads. And we did take after take after take of him just shaking his dreads and just peeing. And it was so weird. And uh, and it was so ridiculous. But then when you see the cut and edit, it's just like, this is great. You know, but but we did so many takes of him shaking his dreads and just, you know, standing over the toilet. Um, what else? Uh, uh just the community and family that we built with all of us it was we would rap from set and we would all go out every t- like mostly every time that all of us were on set which was very rare that all of us were filming the same day if if there was like a group scene or you know some something that like somebody was the boys were shooting in the morning or lyric or cleo was shooting in the morning and then anthony me and dewanda were shooting later on in the day like the boys would stick around or they would go to a bar and we would meet them and then ilfinesh would come and meet us and china would be there you know like it was just like a whole group thing that it was it was like our little frat you know that nobody can touch. Nobody can touch. Yeah. It's, it's funny you said frat because um, it's such a female-centric show, mm-hmm. which was part of the joy of it. Um, we talked about the pride of being part of this black-centric community. Mm-hmm. But what about that part about the female-centric nature of this show and this community? It was super important to show that, that especially this season, there were a couple scenes where nola and and clorinda were fighting again over mars and dewanda and i really thought that it was important that we took those out those scenes out and we went right to spike as soon as we saw it and we were like look we're, we're done fighting over mars like as women as black women i can't see this anymore on screen i don't want to fight over another dude we don't give a shit about a dude like this is about our relationship our friendship like we have to figure that out more so we took that out, rewrote that, and worked on that. Cool and he was cool with y'all. Like, he was cool about that because we were so adamant that we were like, oh, my God, we are so done talking about Mars. Like, this is so dumb. <laughs> you know, it's not and about Mars, but, like, it's about us. It's, it's about not about us. a guy. Yeah, it's about us. And there's – and I think TV, film, media does that where they use women to kind of gang them up against each other and pin mm-hmm. them against each other over some – love Mm -hmm. and that's not reality i know so many strong black women and just strong women that we don't need to talk about like we don't need to be catty over dudes like that's not that's we're really better god i'm i can't (laughs) believe i'm forgetting the name of this what is this law that in film you will know the woman will always be talking about a man? Yeah. Right? What is what is that? I, I have I, no idea what you're talking oh about, God. but there's that a, sounds about a, right. There's a thing that I I can't believe I'm I it's 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 not I can't remember it this second, but there's like a thing of like some lesbian cartoonist wrote a thing about like I will not go to see a movie where the female characters don't have, you know, like their own their own life. Their own life. They're not always talking about a guy. Right. You know, like, their worth is more than just their relationship to a guy. Right. And it cuts you off from, like, most movies. Uh, the Bechdel Laws, I believe it is. Right. I have the, to learn about that. I, I don't know about that. It's, it's, it's... Um, I mean, I don't really have to learn about it because that's, no, like, basically <laughs> my life, yeah. you know, on on screen. But yeah. that's... It's interesting that there is a law that's, The Bechdel like, Test. Okay. That's, that's what it is. That's what it is. That, that, yeah, like... Is she 
does she have a relationship uh-huh. that is outside of a man mm-hmm. right or you know does she does she speak lines where she's not talking about a man mm-hmm. like these sorts of things and like you're but you were given the opportunity to fight against that well we took the opportunity to fight against it uh we were given the test again <laughs> but we chose not to play into that hand it was just it's such an obvious choice and there's more to Nola and there was way more to Clorinda than Mars. Yeah. So we needed to talk about that. So that most, was that was what I was most proud of. Most of the time you're talking about Nola and what she needs to do with her art career and your work for her and with her. You're right. not mostly talking about some guy you love or she loves or whatever. Right. And what she does with her art affects my living. Right. So it you know there is a there's a selfish element to it too you know she's like clorinda's super lost without nola because she's really the one artist that paved the way for her so without her she has to start again so there's like this whole world that she's just she is she's lost without uh you know her kind of older partner that she was depending on for money and and for like a gallery and then she is lost without her one muse that was that got her in the door and, and had her and be allowed to be a part of these uh, art conversations. Do you love working with Dewanda? I do. She was a fantastic scene partner and she was always present with me. Yeah, I'll miss her. Yeah. Yeah. Was there a group meeting goodbye like drink? To be, to be honest, we I I just found out about this. I mean, I found out five days ago so this is all very fresh um spike called us i was leaving vegas (laughs) actually i was there for like a vacation and um and i was i got the call on spike called you spike called me on on the way uh leaving our vegas hotel to the airport what did he say and he was like hey um spike (laughs) as he always does i'm like yeah you're saved to my phone at this point, you know, um, uh, you come from like, a different generation you know, like, when you had yeah, to say, you know, hi, hey, it's, it's, uh, it's Spike, you know, and it's so funny because I say hi, Spike, and he's like, hey, it's Spike. I'm like, okay, and, you know, we're, gotcha. we're back, we're back here. And, uh, and he was like, um, he's like, hey, uh, bad news, we didn't get picked up, we're not, we're not gonna be moving on to third season. So I just wanted you to know before you found out from anybody else. And I just, like, honestly didn't know what to say. So, that was it. Did you cry? Yeah. Like, right away or like? Uh, not right away. What does eating healthy mean to you? Whatever your eating goals, Thrive Market is the best place to get all your groceries and household essentials. And getting Thrive shipped to your door is like having a great supermarket right outside your house. I love that Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and ethical sourcing methods. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks or low sugar alternatives or gluten-free essentials, Thrive Market's got it and their site lets you curate your shopping experience quickly. And as a Thrive member, I save on every order, usually about 30%, which of course I love. And when you join, you help a family in need with the membership matching program. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus 
a $60 gift for free. Go to thrivemarket.com slash Toray for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's Thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E, market.com slash Toray. Thrivemarket.com slash Toray. On March 16th, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamin, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. I went to Chili's in the airport and I cried there. <laughs> I mean, like, I know that people were looking at me like, who is this? <laughs> who is this girl like losing her mind over a burrito? Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, like I, I cried. I could still cry about it now. But yeah, it sucks when you love something and it's taken away and you don't want to leave. That's literally all it is. Like, I'm not I wasn't ready to leave. Do you go into sadness? Do you go into blame? Do you go into like, this is why it didn't work out? And Yes, to all things. Uh, I started going into blame and anger. And then I was like, that's not going to help anybody. It's gone. Like, I can blame everybody. I can blame myself like over and over and over about did I post enough? Did I talk about it enough? Did I, you know, was I was I out there enough? Was I was I good enough? Was did I do my best as Clarinda? Did I give everything, you know, there were days that I felt off like should I have been on more? Like maybe that would have saved the show. You know, like all of these thoughts are just like kind of riddling off in your mind. And and at the end of the day, none of it really mattered what what happened because we're here. This is the outcome. This is the result that we have. So I just have to take it and go with it. Luckily, um, I had another project that I was filming over the weekend. So I just kind of delved completely into that and just um, was able to forget about where I was. But uh, and it was a very heavy, it was a heavy material this weekend, um, the film that I was shooting. So uh, it was I was in a perfect place for it. You know, um, but normally, yeah, I would just sit on my, I'd sit on my couch and and just wallow in my grief for a little bit and just like you know anybody and then, and then, you really have to just kind of pull yourself up, you know, pick yourself back up and, and get back to going because if you don't, we are entrepreneurs and freelancers and nobody else is going to do it for I us. I mean, you've been a working actor for how long? Professionally for. Nine years. Nine years. And you, you've done a lot of TV. Mm-hmm. You've done a bunch of movies. It doesn't get any easier, though, this no. part of it. No. That's the crazy thing. It's like you can do this for a lifetime. And if it does get easier, then maybe you should think about turning it in. <laughs> you know, Because there's still, it's clear that I still have so much love for what I do. Uh, I have so much passion for what I do that it's... It's agonizing when you lose. So, I mean, somebody talked about um, the even the big people will still get really nervous before they go on stage, mm-hmm. and 
you know, someone like a Pacino is like in the bathroom throwing up before he has to go out. And mm. you're like, you? Like right. everyone loves you? You're a legend? Like, you? like no. Like, and that's part of it. Like, and if you feel that fear and going out and you go toward it, you can be great. Yeah. And if you just sort of scrub away the nervousness, it will perhaps lack something, mm-hmm. right? Is, do you still have that, like, when you're going out to do it, like, I'm nervous and I'm excited and I butterflies and... Yeah, when I start new jobs or go in for uh, for new projects, it always feels like it's my first day at school. I feel like mm. I'm going into the cafeteria or the lunch line being the new kid that just moved from a different town. And <laughs> I have to find my circle of friends to sit with at the table, you know? Mm. And that's, it's such a weird feeling, uh, especially when you come into projects that are already moving. You know, if I, like for Boardwalk for me, when I came on fourth season, everybody was already in a groove. Everybody already had their cliques and their circles and they were, some of them were tired. Some of them were like over the show and I had to deal with that. When I was so excited to be a part of this iconic show, some of them were like, next, you know, and I had to deal with that, that ego and, and that kind of energy from them that it was like this, like, dismissive energy that they were like yeah hi it's nice to meet you yeah who are you playing oh you're like you know number 57 okay cool like, so in this know. one you open the show this one we open the show and that really you are able to kind of set the precedent for the feeling and energy on set every day i felt it was my responsibility to walk on as soon as i came on to the you know through the gates of the studio I knew everybody that was waiting by the door. I knew the security. I said hello to every single PA, everybody running catering, every single person. There was a smile on my face every single day, no matter what was going on, because it it really does just take a whole a whole village to to keep the machine moving, and you want to keep everybody happy. And it's that's the exciting part, and the kind of nerves that I put myself in is just is having that responsibility. Of, of being, you know, one of the top top ten on the call sheet. You know, you're a series regular. You have that weight and responsibility. And that's that's the nerves that I kind of come with sometimes now. Um, for stage, when I perform and when I sing, I definitely, yeah, I have to have, like, three shots before I walk on stage or else I'm, like, in the back, like, <laughs> spewing my brains out. Because <laughs> um, I'm just so nervous. I get, you know, I, I forget my words. But for set, I I do have a confidence now just because of, uh, because of experience, but it, it still has a nervous responsibility of just um, being there for everyone else, being the, being a team player. What do you want people to remember about She's Gotta Have It? I want people to just always watch it and smile and think of Brooklyn. I want people to remember that that will never go away. You know, Brooklyn created this with Spike, and that that moment was real, and... It's history, and nobody could take that away. From and us. it's it was authentic. It felt to Brooklynites like, yes, this is where we live. This is the way it goes down. Good. Then we did our job. Thanks to Margot for a great interview at a difficult moment in your life, and thanks to you for listening. Toray Show gives you fuel to power your dreams because you can use your dreams like a rocket ship to blast you into a life you never imagined. You can make your dreams a reality, and this show can help. I'm on Twitter at Toray and on Instagram at Toray Show. 
Please leave a review on iTunes. It really helps. And tell your friends about the show. Torre Show is written by me, Torre, and produced by Jackie Garofano. Our editor is Brandon Tago. Our photographers are Chuck Marcus and Shanta Covington. And we are distributed by DCP Entertainment. And we will be back next Wednesday, no doubt, with another amazing person. Because the man can't shut us down. We live in a world where you can get anything you need delivered to your door thanks to DoorDash. If you don't want to do the dishes or you feel a little sick, let DoorDash bring dinner tonight. My family uses DoorDash all the time because it connects us to our favorite restaurants without us having to drive. Last night, we got some Indian food for my wife, some gumbo for me, and sushi for the kids. And everyone was happy, and we didn't have to do the dishes. The process of ordering was quick and easy, and I love DoorDash for real. So I was so happy to do this for them because I'm a customer, because I know DoorDash is your door to more. Must be over 21 to order alcohol. Alcohol available only in select markets. DoorDash, your door to more. Download the DoorDash app now to get almost anything delivered.